This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode features a chat with Jason Bonham. Now, likely you all know just who Jason is, but in case you don't, on the off chance, Jason is the son of the legendary Led Zeppelin drummer, John Bonham. Now, the catalyst for the conversation is due to an Australian tour by Jason. He's putting on his Led Zeppelin evening across early April, early to mid-April. Very few of my listeners come from Australia, so I'm not going to regale you, the Australian listener, with those dates. Go across the socials and you'll see them all there. And actually, I will put them in the show notes. Too much to mention in terms of the topics covered throughout this chat. Of course, Jason talks about his father. But Jason's a very, very good musician in his own right. He works with Sammy Hagar. That's how good he is. He's Sammy Hagar's drummer in Circle to Circle. He's done a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, for those of you who are Led Zeppelin fanatics, this is a very interesting conversation because I've listened to a number of interviews with Jason and I don't know whether he's given this type of detail about his father before. So worthy of that alone but of course Jason's an excellent musician so he's got plenty to say about what he's doing with the Led Zeppelin material these days who he's working with and why he's working with the musicians that he's recruited into the fold and some other stuff as well but uh, yeah a very enjoyable conversation I had a lot of fun talking to Jason so here he is Jason Bonham Jason hello g'day mate how are you I'm all right how you doing yeah, not too bad. How's the uh, how the Zoom has been treating you, mate? Have, have we the the Aussie contingent? Have we made for interesting conversation for you? You're always good at conversation, my friends. Rather than uh, you know, I live in the United States, and every now and again I miss a little bit of banter. Mm. Um, as they don't get banter, they don't they don't get a little oh. bit of you know they don't know what certain <laughs> words are. And I always say, who cares? I just know it's the dogs every now and again when we play. <laughs> yep, yep. I definitely notice a bit of that, although I do find people in New England uh, a lot more relatable, I find, because I get a lot of con- comments. Because they hate English, I mean. No, nah, not not even that. No, oh. it's I find they're more, to be honest, I've, I, God, feel free to disagree with me, but I find there's virtually no difference between the Brits and the Australians because I do a lot of this stuff. But when yeah. it comes to talking to people in the US, if they're from New England, from that part of the world there, they tend to be more like us, whereas if they're from California, they can be very different. Oh, that's a diplomatic way of saying things from California, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I say the big comment, I would say, yeah, a lot of similarity there is the, uh, yeah, just took an uprising just to make them the individual. Um, mm. Yeah, good bit of history from Boston. Love New England. Spent a lot of time. My, my daughter went to college in, uh, in Boston. So I spent a lot of time up there. Got some good friends in that neck of the woods. Mm. I do love history. So I, any any of the towns that have real history, I'm, I'm a way more into it. Uh, for me, California was always a big... Thing to go visit when I was younger because it was all like where you know the Sunset Strip and more for mm. at the time like when you know GNR Guns and Roses and Motley Crue were all hanging out in bars. You know I'd heard the stories that when my old man used to go to the bars and mm. uh, and it was legendary all those places like the Rainbow and the Roxy the whiskey. Um, so yeah, California was always that a little bit. It seemed 
Hollywood, which it is, you know, mm. a lot more, you know, everyone's done it. Everyone's done it better. Everyone can help you get better. Um, but it's, you know, you just got to look past it really. But I much yeah. prefer, I much prefer me. Uh, I have a lot of friends in us. I have some friends who live there. And as I said, yeah, we always, it was a great honesty. Uh, and that's the similarity between us and, and British people is none of my American friends will ever call me fat. Uh, but my my Aussie and my English friends will always call me fat. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, yeah, to my yeah. face, not behind yeah. my back, to my face. And yes. I gotta love that honesty. I always said yeah. if I'd have lived there, I'd have probably been slimmer. <laughs> yeah, it's the, one of the only uh, cultures, if you like, that Anglo culture, Anglo Celtic culture, where calling somebody your fat bastard is actually a term of endearment. Yep, because if we didn't care, we wouldn't even bother calling you exactly. Fat. <laughs> exactly. We just wouldn't talk to you. It's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah I don't know we, wouldn't even bother. we wouldn't even waste. Yeah. We wouldn't even waste the chant. Yeah. 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 How long have you been living in the States for now? I'm, I came over here, oh, what are we, 2005. Uh, um, and it was purely by accident. 2004, I, uh, I did. I, came, I went to California. You know, went to Santa, where's another normal place? Santa Barbara. Mm. And did a. a charity gig where myself, Mick Jones from Foreigner, and then one of my old singers, and then I've got Jeff Pilsen to nice. play bass. And and that kind of then became a version of Foreigner that led on to me, well, to Mick in the end, we've got another singer, Kelly, who's now been with them since 2005, and, yep. and uh, uh, Tom Gimble. And so it was a nucleus of the of the of bringing the band back together a foreigner. So literally that led to me then, the manager saying, if you lived here, we could do more shows. And I was mentioning it to the wife and she went, yeah, well, yeah, okay. Well, we've never thought about li living in America. Mm. And we were at the time when the kids were eight and 11. We said, if we don't leave now, we're always going to be within 20 minutes of our mom and dad's, mm. like most of our friends have been, you know. It was that moment of, do we break the cycle? Do we move away? Or do we always stay within 20 minutes of our mum and dad's, you know? Um, uh, and that was a tough one because I said, I can't answer that for you. I'll always be going away and working. So this is on you. So she went, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. So we came over and we said, well, let's keep the English house just in case. Mm. We don't like it. Well, we've still got the English house and we're still here 18 years later. <laughs> um, so we've been, uh, as I say, I, I think we're okay with it. Um, we, I live in, you know, in a most different part. I think I'm, I live in the most English part of Florida that you could ever live in mm. because I went, oh, instead of, well, I don't have, I can't afford ocean. So I went for a little bit more property. So my property is a little bit more my place in England and it's, mm. It's old wood beams and like more Spanish style, um, where my English one was like Tudor, but a lot of beams, a lot of tile, like similar in certain ways. And yeah, I've been fortunate enough that I, I like it here. I don't, you know, I can be at the ocean in, in 20 minutes and take the boat out if I need to, or I have enough space around me that I could have a room on the property where I can play my drums and nobody bothers me. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny, it's twinned. My, my buddies who lives up in the Gulf Coast, uh, the Gold Coast, I should say. Uh, it's a very, um, 
it's twinned with Fort Lauderdale and all that, which is that place. And it is a similarity of where they have all the gated communities around golf places on, on, the, on the golf. I, I couldn't believe the first time I went up there, I was like, my God, this is so much like Florida where in the areas where I, I go to. So, yeah, there's a lot of similarities to the thing. And, yeah, we all like nice, sunny, you know, nothing better than waking up to a blue sky in the morning and uh, and to keep you, you know, have a go. Yeah, I'm, I live on the Gold Coast. I'm a Gold Coaster, so there you go. So I know exactly what you're saying. You know, yeah. our, our Gold Coast here. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I have to live near the water. It's only five minutes that way as well. And yeah. um, I rarely go out in the boat, but I just have to be near it. It's just one of those physical things that I have to have. I feel really, you know, strays like my 200 kilometres inland. It's just washing yeah. the desert, bloody nothingness, and it's so hot because there's nothing to yes. absorb the bloody heat. So we all live near the coast, as you're probably well aware. But, uh, yeah, very, very but much That so. sounds great. Yeah, it sounds great, man. It sounds like there's been a bit of destiny there for you too when you move, that it's all worked out. It, well, I mean, one of those moments I never, as I said, I've I, I got to say, I don't I don't think if anyone would ever said to me when I was, what, 18, 19, or even 21, when I so get to a certain point in my career when they went, you are going to work more from when you're 40 to when you're 56 than you've ever worked in your entire life. Mm. Uh, I'd have gone, not a chance. I'll be retired by then. Um, <laughs> but really, it really was. It really has been a, an absolute eye-opener. Um, I've got to play some amazing people. Um, you know, watching my kids grow up. We've had such a, you know, uh, got a good relationship with my, with my children. My son's into music now. My, I just, my daughter just got married. God bless her, and uh, that was, you know, wonderful to be to to see and 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 be around. Just normal things that uh, I don't know. I never. Strangely, when your dad, when my dad died when I was fourteen, hmm. I definitely knew that you had no. As much as you think you're in control of everything in life, you never know what's around the corner. So sometimes I was a little bit. I went through a little bit of a phase, even growing up, that you know what. You can't, you know, why waste today when, you know, you've got to save something for tomorrow. Well, tomorrow might never come. So mm. I was a little, lived a little bit wild like that in my one time of my life. But because of that reason. Um, but I was fortunate enough then. So when I got my crap together and uh, and I've been, you know, a good boy and, and sober for 23 years, 22 wow. years. So 22 awesome. years. And I that was another thing. I never imagined ever saying that. Uh, because I loved a good pint like everybody else. Well, actually, I liked a lot more than just one, two, or even five. Feeling. You know, I was an Olympic. I was an Olympic drinker. Mm. I was a gold medalist for many different Olympics. <laughs> I challenge anyone. <laughs> um, so you know, I never imagined going out and playing music straight. That wasn't something that definitely didn't come into my thing. But I actually, you know, I. I actually really enjoy it because now, now I can rem- now I can remember the night. You know, yeah, I do get it. I still play in bands where people drink, and then the next day they go, "Hey, what a show! Great show last night!" And I'm going, "Was it? Are you sure yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. Are you sure about? That? I think you you checked out about six songs to the end. I think and they'd be like, "Did I? Yeah, yeah." Mm. So um, I've just been fortunate enough to to really. To realise it, and then to have a, people around me that were okay with it, and it's amazing. The people that definitely had a problem themselves, I didn't see ever again. They they kind of thought me as a threat because I was straight, 
Um, uh, but the people who, you know, were okay and ever, never, ever doubted their drinking, I can still hang out with them and they drink and they don't feel guilty and they don't, you know, there's a, as I said, I never want anyone to feel uncomfortable just because I don't drink. You know, it's not, you know, so, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to be judging me. Mm. So I'm not, you know, I'm, 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 so I'm just, for me, it was best to, to be, not to drink. And as I said, so I to carry on playing music in that environment. So I got to, to have 22 years playing music, you know, longer than I got to play before. So I was really only playing professionally from when I was 17. Mm. So I've been playing music longer sober than I had been drunk. Yeah, gotcha. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, congratulations on it. Yeah. One question about that. I spoke to Phil from Motorhead about this topic, and I know, I know it was a challenge for him initially. Did you stop overnight or was it a process? Once it was uh, overnight. Um, for me, once it was, once you make the decision, I was fortunate. I, I went out on a bender and I was like, oh, how am I gonna? You know, how am I gonna get back in favour with the misses on this one? Mm. Um, like shit, you know. And I should have known at that moment. I'd had a couple of moments where I woke up in hospital. She didn't really know about at the time, and and like the doctors would go, you know, you're lucky to be alive. You know, this you passed out, you hit your head, you this this and that. And uh, we found all of these things in your system, and I'd make a joke and go, "Well, oh, that's the last time I call that guy." I, mm. He told me this was, you know, because I was a bit embarrassed. So, you know, and they, you know, you when you wake up and you've got things all over and they're going, yeah, it's coming too. And you're going, how did I get here? You know, I was meant to be on a plane a minute ago. Why, why, why aren't I on a plane home? Yeah. And uh, and the weirdest thing is, so that moment, remember, I was just coming back and going to Cabo, St. Lucas. Yeah. Uh, first time I ever Sammy. played with Sammy Hagar. Mm. It was the first time, so it was 97. Uh, and it took me another four years to not take that so seriously. Another four years before I went, yeah, you know what? I better, you know, I better get my shit together. It took it took a more of a collapse of music generally in my life for it to get work to get less and less and less for me to suddenly realize I have a problem. So, you know, on that one bender I was on, I remember being in a bar on a Saturday morning, waiting outside for the bar to open at nine o'clock in the morning. And there was another old bloke next to me and this other old bloke who was like 30 years older than me, at least. Got in the bar, like opening, like literally as the doors opened, sat down at a drink. And in 10 minutes, this woman walked in with this young little kid. I mean, there's your dad. You have sit with it, and the, and the dad went, sit over there. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I went, that'll be my future. Mm. I'll be I'll be in here and my wife will be bringing the kids and we're going, and I could just see this old version of me. I, I rang her up and said, I need help. And she went, all right, I'll help you once. And she drove me to her. This is the funny side of it. So she drove me to this clinic and I walk in there and I'm like, I can't go here. Normal people are here. Mm. <laughs> like, I haven't even got any private rooms. And the woman went, oh, why? Are you special? I went, yeah, I am actually. She went, you're all special, love. 
just we need to know what kind of special you are. Mm. And they're all going, oh, is it one of those? He thinks he's special, is it? And I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, I'm definitely, I was dying to go, well, maybe I haven't got a drink problem at all. And, and yeah. Fighting, I was like, suddenly, this is a, this is now. I'm going to go into hospital, and they start going. You know, you're going to walk into an alumni asylum right now. This is you're in an asylum, and I'm like, what? Uh, yep. Once you sign that paperwork, you're you're on us. We let you go when we're ready to let you go. You don't decide. It's when we think you're okay. Oh, I've seen one. I flew over the cuckoo's nest. I know what this is like. Mm. <laughs> so. All of a sudden, I was starting to backpedal a little bit, and I went, where do you send, like, musicians? And I went, oh, that's the other place. That's in London. And they called them up and made an appointment, and my wife drove me from Manchester all the way down to London. Mm. And, and I checked in and was like, you know, they went, oh, who do you want to see, Eric or Pete? And I'm like, what? What do you mean, Eric, Pete? Oh, what, Captain or Townsend? Like, Townsend, yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, only first names here. And I'm like, oh, great. So I had Pete. Uh, Pete was my go-to guy when I, when I got sober. So can't, you know, I had the best sober, you know, guy in the world and would tell me stories about me, old man, and and, and he used to pick me up and take me to meetings. And he gave me my start, you know, and I thank him mm. from this day that I had somebody like him to explain it in a very different way. It wasn't like the taxi driver from down the road. And there's no disrespect from going and listening to one of those guys talk, but I couldn't relate to the taxi driver mm. who was drinking Terps or, or was drinking like Drano underneath the sink. Or, mm. You know, I couldn't relate. But to somebody like him, I could relate to. So that was my, you know, go-to and Godspeed and, and and everything else. I managed to save seven from that moment on. So, uh, yeah, it's I'm a very great grateful. story, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Having having the great Pete Townsend, someone who is right up there with your your father. That's yeah. the wavelength you needed to be on in order to understand actually how to get through the bloody thing. Because drinking, it's uh, we all struggle with it at some point, don't we? Realistically, if you've yeah. got, especially if you've got bloody Irish heritage, you just go through it and you think, how can I stop drinking? But that's the thing about me, mate. I can have sort of fifteen pints and nothing happens. But oh yeah, I know I know that. yeah, you know the feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, that's not enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it takes yeah. a lot, and it was, it was a long time before I realised is it's. It's not the drinking that's the problem. It's it's dealing with when we are not happy with things and how we deal with it, like sadness or being bored or, or anything else. These were all the triggers that I needed, like how do I survive? It was a habit, you know, how do, how do I not plan? You know, I grew up, my granddad was still drinking till 89 years old and was still having five pints every night up to the day he died. Mm. You know, God forbid, that was a normal way of life. You know, every Christmas, all my family, aunts, uncles, we all drank. Everyone drank. There was no non-drinkers in our family. Mm. You know, um, we never, I, no, none of us ever thought of it that bad, you know. But it's not until you, you know, start doing a few things and then you go, bloody hell, you know. <laughs> it's when there's a few of those moments you go, how am I alive? And, and, and you got through it and... You know, there was definitely somebody trying to send a message to me, but it took me a long time. And as I said, I, really, I got to 33. It was as if I knew I got to one year past my dad lived till. Mm -hmm. And then I went, I'm okay. I can give up now. 
I've lived one one year longer than my dad did. That was the trigger. That was the catalyst. Yeah, that was. I got to thirty three, and went. Okay, I'm done. And uh, that was it. I was I was fortunate enough to to carry on. And uh, Lemmy, God bless him, was a he. He was so encouraging because I still would see him at the Rainbow and everything in LA all mm. the time. And I'm not, I knew Lemmy from when. Actually, I went to see speaking of Phil because I've known Phil and but Lemmy. I was 14 when my dad died. I went first concert I went to see with Motorhead, mm-hmm. and it was the Bomber tour. Nice. And I took two kids from school with me, and and they were like, Lemmy was like, "You all right?" And I went, and he goes, "Your dad was, you know, was a god." And he goes, uh, "Do you want a drink?" And I went, "I don't drink." And these my two mates with me went, "We do." And they gave him a can of, uh, I think, uh, Newcastle, it was Newcastle bottles of Newcastle Brown Ale. Mm. And they were like, they really looked like they didn't drink either, but they were just like wanting to be cool. Mm. And, and like, so, yeah, it was weird because I, like, my first ever band, so the years later, my first ever band that was in, there was a band that opened up for us in, in Cardiff somewhere. And the, the guitar player, the Welsh guitar player Phil ended up being mm-hmm. in Motorhead, and, uh, and uh, he goes, "You remember when we opened up for you?" <laughs> and I was like, "Here we go." <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, I had a good, I had a good, good times me and him in LA because yeah, yeah. If that's the Phil, Phil, you're meaning guitarist Phil, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah exactly, Phil. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I know both the Phils, so yeah, Phil, yeah. Not filthy, but you mean yes. So yes, we yeah, we go Campbell, way yeah. Back. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we've shared some moments together outside that rainbow. I will just say that. <laughs> I bet you have. Yeah, but this the, the entire conversation to this point alludes to something though, which is that is that interest in Led Zeppelin it just seems to grow every year, doesn't it? There's just a new generation that keeps coming, and you've even got a copycat band out there in Greta Van Fleet, which is a, essentially is a covers band by any other name with all the greatest of respect, I say that even to them. But realistically, there's only one person that can carry on the legacy given the lads have decided to hang up the guitar, so to speak. That's you, and I know the band have endorsed that. So, But but for you, is it is it a burden in, in that respect, or do you, is it still very energising to go out there and do what you do? Um. For me, it just, I never really, when after it was all of the, if anything, if I go back in steps from, yeah, of course, when I was younger, there was, and I was suddenly doing, trying to do music on my own, I understand uh, a lot what my son's going through now and why he likes to not even use his last name mm. is so nobody has a, a formulated opinion about what this person's going to be like. So he just goes by his first and middle name, Jagger Henry. And I get it because I spent mo- a lot of my 20s fighting the, you know, I'm a person too, you know, I'm not just Bonzo's kid. Hmm. And 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 I see him now when he releases something, it goes, Bonzo's grandson releases new song. And I feel for him. And he's not even using the last name Bonham. So, uh, yeah, there was a time when I, I fought against it. And and it, I think a lot of it helped was when I got sober and being okay with it and being just proud as, you know, punch to to even be mentioned in the same sentence as me, old man, as a drummer. Uh, it became a lot 
more of a warmth thing and, and more of a fan and to listen to the music as with open ears and not trying to shut it off to the world and not trying to pretend I'm something I'm not, which is really like I'm grateful. I'm just grateful to be playing music in any form whatsoever. But Led Zeppelin as a whole. So when I got to play with them, there was way more than just playing the songs. It was being around them, being in their company for the six weeks mm. that led up to the the last show we did in, in uh, Celebration Day, mm. which was huge. And so there was a lot of, you know, pressure and the whole thing. But the best was we all, when it came to it, that night was just spot on. So a couple of years later when it was mentioned to me, oh, why don't you do a Zeppelin cover thing? I was like, really? That's the best advice you can give me right now. To the manager, I was like, he goes, well, you need to get your mind off it because it's obviously bothered you because it stopped and it did. It wasn't, it's it's hard to let it go when you get to that point again and boom, it all stops again. Hmm. So when I started doing it, which was 13 years ago, as kind of, I'll do it once. I'll, I'll take my half, pay homage, or do it once. So 13 years later, we're now going past, was it as long as it, longer than Zeppelin ever did it in their entire hmm. career? So the fact that we still really enjoy it, we still, I am still a fan. We we get to play these great songs in a live setting. And every year to more and more people, every mm. concert, more and more people come to yeah. the same concert, playing bigger venues. And without really, we're not promoting it. We're not trying to go, ah, you know, it's, it's kind of just grown of word of mouth. And it's one of those things we don't try and, shove it down last thing I would do is shove it down anyone's throat so if you're into it come along to the show if you like Zeppelin you're going to really enjoy this so um, that's you know that's my thing it's if you love Zeppelin then there's no way you won't love this show and everyone who comes that says what you know what's it about and I go you have to come to the show to get it and it's more than just me telling some stories and the band playing and the whole it's a feeling of, of the of we're all there for the one reason and and everyone that's come that didn't didn't know what to expect is the, the smile at the end of the night and going I get it I get it uh, and that's all we hope to do if we we're playing on if we've done our job right at the end of the night you walk out there and the first thing you do is you, you or you get back home the next morning, you go, you flick into the records again and you and you you're putting on a Zeppelin album from the past or a bootleg or something, because it's brought back a spark or a memory yeah. of a good time in your life. Sometimes it can be a you know sometimes it'll be a bad time, but a good time in your life when you go, yeah, then I know it's well worth no matter what the odd person will say about us doing what we do. Um, we do this because we absolutely love it, mm. you know, uh, and that's the main thing. Yeah. Well, look, John Paul Jones's baseline. Just some of the hardest. I play covers, right? So I've had to play a fair, yeah. fair bit of his stuff, and they're easily some of the hardest rock music that I've ever had to, to get my fingers around. It's just that none of it. It's all counterintuitive, to be honest with you. Yeah. And without his playing, so much of the music doesn't link up with what your dad was doing, so therefore it becomes no, rudderless. Yeah. So if you can't get it live, you just can't get it. So being the drummer, how did you pick a bass player? Is it a mate of yours or did you have to go out there and do the cattle uh, call, so to speak? So, right? the, so here's the best bit. So the, the bass player is actually a, a drum. He graduated as a drummer from Berkeley, 
<laughs> and bass was his second instrument. There you go. Yeah. Um, so I think always having a guy that's got the knowledge of a drums is vital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, as he said, it was some of the things that he says, when you listen to John Paul Jones, it's those when he's playing on the and. It's like yeah. on a celebration day, he's going, uh, 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 yeah. uh, you know, so mm-hmm. start going the dum, dum, he's going, uh, uh. it's the thing that makes it sound like it's moving yep. that you don't realise. Uh, all those little things, you know, and, and and it's playing it with feel. And you think of some of those runs, you know, you know that he does in in, in Ramble On, you know, in the chorus. Yeah. You know, he's walking up and down the streets. Just, as I said, it's, uh, yeah. And I love 10 Years Gone, that. Just those, that against the, the notes. He makes it, you know, he makes all of those things suddenly have another, you know, purpose. And I always say, anyone that can come up with a riff like Black Dog uh, and... and oh, it's a monster. Is, is all right with me, yeah. you know? I mean, even these solo stuff as well, I love like the Thunder Chief, mm. you know, and his own solo albums, you know, like some of the stuff is like just, you know. So I've been very fortunate to get to play with him in a live environment, you know. I wish I could yeah. share it with you now, but I have I have recordings of us jamming uh, just stuff oh and just God. like he just yeah is just amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So so how did you pick the other members of the band? Again, was it I mean you, you're very well connected, so you can pretty much pick whoever whoever is available and wants well, to do it. But yeah. It was one of those things. Uh, I mean, the first thing was to get was at the time I had a guitarist in mind, the first guitarist, Tony, I'd played with for many years. It was always a singer that we struggled with. So it was somebody that, actually, I think it might have been John Paul Jones, who actually said, have you seen this guy on the internet that does this uh, Zeppelin thing called Virtual Zeppelin? Mm-hmm. So I looked him up, and it was James, and he was doing this thing. It's called Virtual Zeppelin, and they were just basically different guys in different towns sending in their clips and played together. Um, so I flew him down to this to where I am now in, in Florida and uh, to the house. And I said, I want to see you sing like that in real person, you know, in real life. And he did. And I was like, well, oh, wow, there you go. And I said, but at the time I went, but you don't look like a singer. He, he was a hefty guy, you know. And a year later, at the beginning of 2010, he called me up and he goes, I've lost 60 pounds. And I went, yeah, thanks. I think I gained it. And uh, and he goes, I'm ready. You know, I've been singing a lot more. And so literally we got together and we put together the first ever tour. And that then we had a bass player with Michael Devon who got a phone call halfway through the tour to join Whitesnake. And mm-hmm. I said to him, he goes, I'll finish the tour. And he said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'm probably not going to be doing this for very long. I'd go do Whitesnake for you. And then the strangest thing was back in 2017, um, I got a chance to open up um, for Foreigner. And uh, so we were back together with the same group of people mm. and on tour. And the the weirdest thing was my, at the time, my bass player couldn't do it. And Michael, I got Michael, the original bass player, to come back while he was not playing with Whitesnake at the time to come back and do the tour which was really nice to revisit. So, mm-hmm. And Michael was the one who found me the new bass player, Dorian. So there was a family. They'd known each other for a long time. 
as I said, the, the chances of having that happen. And then the following year, 2018, is when um, I found uh, my other guitar player decided he wanted to stop doing what he was doing. He wanted to do something else. Hen walks in, Mr. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Sakurai from Tokyo, and blew our socks off for his knowledge, but for his playing and the tone that he gets. Mm. You, everyone, you know, there's an ability we can play the certain stuff. He still has the ability to play the stuff like Jimmy did, where it, it makes it sound like it's not easy. Yeah. Where Jimmy Page had a thing of making it sound like he was really having to struggle to bend that note. Mm. And to really, so that's the passion in it. And, and then I'd forgotten so much about the tone and how amazing the tone is that Jimmy had. Uh, and this guy really bought that home, we know. So ne- ever since then, now I'm a collector of, of, of vintage amplifiers and have quite a collection on the road. <laughs> uh, hence, you know, they go wrong when they, you know, you get these. Yeah. So yeah. Like, it's like with the, with the stuff. So with the, the bases and everything that we have, um, I've got some old fenders that we use, and then I've got we've got some of the remade acoustic stuff, the 360 stuff, mm-hmm. which you'll be doing a bass player, you'll know those, and um, which can go wrong. Even the new ones can go wrong, oh, yeah. uh, like the old ones. But uh, yeah, we've, we've got some nice couple of 60, 60 uh, is it 59 super leads and plexi heads, and yeah, a lot of vintage stuff uh, yeah. to get the musical. Where, where there's musical instruments, you've got to anticipate bloody problems. I've just had to redo the active uh, electronics on these bases here behind me and yeah. their music man bases because the bloody music things man, kept yeah. on failing. Yeah, they kept on failing. I don't, they, they've got this, the battery compartment goes like this, so it eventually sears off the, the A and B uh, leads. So they're active, they're active, right? Yeah, um, they're, they're active yeah. and uh, you can't buy passive ones. I mean, I wouldn't want passive ones because they sound like shit, to be honest with you, but the... Yeah. The active ones, I had to go and get them hard wide. So I had to get a custom job out like at Red Bank Plains out here to get it done for me. And uh, okay. yeah, I mean, but it's, you know, I'm playing covers, right? But, you know, I'm playing four sets a night. So start at nine, finish at one thirty. I mean, yeah. I'm singing too. The last thing I bloody need is to go, oh my God, what is going on? You know, it just puts yeah. me in a bad mood. I'd rather be thinking about the football score and if my bloody football <laughs> team's winning. <laughs> I mean, it's all, if it goes well, see, the thing is, it's when you, not, not many people are aware of, well, you're just playing, right? Well, no, there's a lot more to do with it. That, that yeah. If it sounds like crap, how do you, it's like, it's like, if it sounds like crap, how do you continue to keep playing with a smile on your face? It's like, it's to get you what even you in the mood, to you to play to the next level. If it sounds good, I always say, God help everybody. If, if it's suddenly, when I walk on stage and if it sounds good, I know that night I am going to be doing different stuff than mm. I've ever done before because I'm inspired. Yeah, you're yeah, inspired and you're confident. Uh, you, you trust yeah, your instruments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. There's nothing worse than going on. They go, oh, here we go. All right, then. Same with it. <laughs> that's, that's why I've had to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the last thing I want to do is drive to the gig wondering, you're just the butterflies that you get. You know what I'm talking about. And you're thinking, yeah. am I going to get through the night without wanting to smash a $4,000 base? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> But um, just another ta- a tangent here just about your father. It's the only question I'll ask about your dad directly because I, I know you've been, uh, you've, answered almost every question imaginable about your father. So I've tried to think as far outside of the box because people people listen to my show, they want to hear what you have to say about the icon. Um, but as far as public perception, what do you feel is the most misunderstood aspect of your dad? Um, well, there's a lot written about his antics, you know, I always say that there's probably more written about uh in some ways, more written about his antics 
off stage than really how good he was, you know, in the studio and on stage, mm. or even as a person. Um, he was a very quiet guy. When I remember Dad, it was purely alcohol would change him to be the confident person. When he was, you know, just normal dad, like waking me up at 6.30 in the morning to take me to the motocross because he was, you know, we're driving so many miles to race every weekend. Mm. That, you know, with the, and he, he'd already got the, made the bacon and egg butties ready to go and so uh, get in the car and, and drive 200 miles through Wales and everything to race. He was dad. That was dad, the worker. When he had the building site and he was buying up all the derelict houses in the area where he lived and redoing them back to their glory days, hmm. that was dad, the, the guy that used to work for his dad, who was a chippy, he was a carpenter, uh, and my dad said, right, I'm going to I'm gonna do the same thing, and, and hired everybody that he worked for when he was a kid to now work for him. And I said, it had his own building company. He was a regular guy, you know. Yeah. And he chose when people would go, like, you get those people that have that judgment about him because he's got long hair and he was only young, you know, oh, how come he's got all this money, you know, can you believe it? Ugh, you know, anybody can do this. And the best was, my dad knew, well, if somebody came around to give him fries on doing something at the house, he knew if they were trying it on because he could. he knew what it would cost and what it would take to do it. So that was always really bad news on anyone's judgment if they went, oh, he's just a guy, that has, he's an idiot, has no idea. I mean, he had he had nine O-levels. You know, nobody ever writes anything about him like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Think of him as this beast, this hard-hitting, you know, look back when you watch him on, when you watch him on video, look how far the drumstick is through his hand. And they were normal drumsticks. So it wasn't a, a, a like an edge of the stick, Tommy Lee hit with a pendulum. Yep. He had more of this very high up thing. Um, so, yeah, way more finesse and jazz-like than anybody ever put him down to. Uh, just really, and, and just being a regular guy that, I mean, he'd probably be now going, I don't know what all the fuss is about. It'd be like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get the impression. I know what you're saying about the antics, and that's annoyed me over the years, to be honest with you, because I can't remember who I've been speaking to during my odyssey as a, a podcaster and a, as a journalist, but I've spoken to someone who worked with your father. I can't remember in what capacity it was, but they gave me feedback that exactly like what you said there, this was a normal fella, probably the most normal one in the band, actually completely yeah. normal, and a dad too. That's the, that's how I knew, because I'm a parent as well, and uh, I thought, hang on a sec, you know, you've you've turned out great, you know what I'm saying? Like you turned out very well balanced. And I mean that, yeah. but a lot of that comes yeah, from the home right, you come yeah. from. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was, and the weirdest thing is, I ne- and, I, and I say this to my son in all, in, in all times, when my son rings me up for advice, I say, I, 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 I don't know. He goes, why can't you be a dad? I went, well, I'm sorry but. I didn't know a dad from 14 on, so I don't know how a dad's supposed to react to a 26-year-old. So mm-hmm. I know what I was supposed to react to you when you were young. I said, but now, you know, I said, I'm kind of winging it. So, you know, be if, I, if I'm not fully in and all responsive as, as much as you'd like to me to be, I said, I, I'm sorry, but um, when my, my dad was on a pedestal and I – 
he never we never got to the point where me and my boy will get will get in each other's faces and, and to the where where we <laughs> I might have a go because he's six foot four and he could take me anytime he wanted. He's a big guy. Uh and so I'm always like, well, I can't take him anymore, but I, I can wait till he goes to sleep and then hit him <laughs> with you know, or as you know, the most painful thing I can ever do to my child is take the money away. So I go, mm. Do you want me to be broke? Do you want to have nothing at all? Mm. And he's like, That's always your answer, Dad. Why do you do that to me? And I went, Well, there's two things in life. This is the only thing I can ever do to you to hurt you is say, Right, that's it. You, um, you, 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 you've now just cut off from everything, which I won't ever do because my dad wouldn't have done that to me. I will give him, a, you know, I'll give him tests and do everything. Uh, my, my kids have done everything I've asked of them. Mm. I said, you need an education. You need to go to college. Yeah. You need a degree. You need to do all of this. So when I'm running out of things for them to do, and then they go, we've done everything you want. Now what? I'm like, <laughs> all right, now you do this. and you got to get a job. And then if you want to do this, he goes, well, did you do any of that? I went, don't talk back to me. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> to do with it. Uh, and I'm like, no. And the reason why I didn't get a job because I was an idiot and I didn't know what I was. I thought everything was brilliant and just thought the world owed me a living. You know, mm. don't be me. You know, be uh, be smart about music. Do you know? Own everything. Do whatever. You know, don't wait for somebody to to tell you at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, it was great, but now you owe us five hundred grand. You know, what? Mm. Did you have a good time? Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's why you still owe us money. <laughs> So, you know, uh, as I said, it's just the thing that when you're a parent, it's, uh, as I said, I, I, you know, and then and you get older and wiser, you, you suddenly go, yeah, Dad, what were you thinking that day when you went and got hammered and, and, and whatever? Um, and it, it was only a couple of years ago that I had one day I had one of those, like, questions in my, in my mind, mm. you know, when I went. Not happy today with you, Dad. Because somebody made his point and said, yeah, but he didn't make a good decision that day, did he? And I was like, as much as I wanted to go and defend him, mm. I actually, for the first time in my life, ever went, yeah, what the f- are you thinking? You know? Mm. But I but I get it, you know? Well, um, he was young. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, yeah you just, you do. You, know, you, you don't I, know what you don't know when you're that age, do you? I'm 56 and I'm still going, I just don't recognise the person that looks back at me when I'm in the I'm just going, I still feel like a child. You know, I still do stupid things, but it's just, I question them a little bit better now. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. And, and just uh, just one more point around your father. I, I formed an opinion over the years. This was only one person that came within a bull's roar of your dad, and that's the late, great Cozy Powell. Do you agree? Bless him. Um, Cozy, got, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to not only have known Cozy, I actually got to play with him once mm. um, where on a Gibson night where we had two drummers and Paul Rogers slash oh, an original bass player from Andy Fraser from mm, Free. Free. And right. we did, um, I got to play with him on a couple of occasions. Um, and so... Uh, we did um, Crossroads um, uh, at, the, at the Gibson Bash and uh, with Cozy and he was. And I remember I was I was still young and full of drink at the, in those days, so mm. I was very cocky. 
and thought my shit didn't stink. Uh, and I hope I didn't come across too 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 cocky to him. But I remember I remember thinking to myself, "All right, it goes like this, Coz. We we'll try and keep up." <laughs> yeah. How did he react? Yeah. Well, because I the weirdest thing because I'd come in and replaced him on a couple of Robert Plant albums, so I'd, I'd always come in after yeah. he'd been fired. So I, and so I kind of I felt pretty special. I don't know. I don't know. Um, he was put this way. He was a nice guy. And I, I knew, I, I knew him for a long time, and and he was always sweet. He never, he was never, you know, never horrible. And even if I would have been a bit mean to him, I'm sure he would have said something. Uh, but uh, he was. I just, I'm glad I got to play with him the once. You know, I did. Yeah, he was heavily into motorsport, as you're probably aware. So yeah. I'm sure you guys would have connected on that level at some point if you'd stayed around. As I said, yeah, I wish I had a chance to. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he died in his Porsche that he loved so dearly, and uh, yeah, so we would have had so much more in in, in common to do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm big. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan. So, do you get asked about your performance on the Outrider album from 1987? I think it was or '88. We recorded it in '87 and went out on tour mm. uh, in '88. Um, um, I mean, not. I haven't been asked about it in a long time, but uh, I still look at it as that time, the tour, the doing the album. You know, it's kind of weird to think that I'm the only drummer that Robert, Jimmy only had played one solo album, which was really apart mm. from his death wish. And um, so, yeah, it was a a moment in time that was happened so quickly um, when we did it. But I remember that was the first time. I had a moment. I'd went out for a drink in the afternoon. We weren't starting till one, I think, or two. We'd started two in the afternoon. So me and Tony Franklin went off to the pub around the corner mm. for a couple of drinks. And I, a couple of, I think I had about four pints, came back. And Jimmy goes, Where have you been? And I went, Oh, we just went around the corner. And he goes, Well, you know, we're starting. And I went, All right. And I went and made myself beans on toast. And he came and he went, all right, now you've taken a fucking piss. I'm like, what? He went, listen, I'm paying the bills. You do as I tell you to do. And you need to get in that room now, put that down, and you need to start work. Mm. And I remember going, oh, my God. It was like being told off by your uncle. Mm. You were like, oh. And then I felt really bad. That I pushed, pushed it to him to get upset, mm. and I could see it upset him that he had to raise his voice to me. And I was like, "Oh, I know." I felt really bad all day. I mean, like, oh, a really, mm. really, really moment because it is when they tell you, it's a weird thing when those three guys. It's very different to anybody else. I'm it's like you. all of a sudden you revert to the real child that you are, uh, and you know, oh yeah, sorry. Mm. Who who are you closest to out of the three three members? I'd say I'd say Robert without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but then I spent more professional time with with Jimmy and mm. was taken on tour with him, and and that was just you know a dream. And and like and he wasn't on me like I I mean I was having a good time and we were all getting on with it and you know doing things like you do when you're on tour and you're twenty. Two, yeah, I was twenty-two. Private mm. planes, you know, the whole 
you know, oh, I need some money. How much do you need? Give me five grand. Yeah, you go. Sign here. <laughs> you know, staying awake. Boy, remembering, I remember playing the Philadelphia Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember getting a note put me through my door of the day sheet, and it went, bags at five. And I was like, today's the day off. And the bloke goes, no, yesterday was day off. What? And I'd been partying. So mm. I'm like, I mean, I've missed a day. And they went, yeah, bags, like, you're leaving in an hour. And we were playing Philadelphia Spectrum, and I hadn't been to bed and nothing. And I'm like, oh, my God, and that panic setting, and I put my glasses on. and trying to pretend, and like, Timmy, you know, he's no idiot. And he's like, you're right. And he's like making it more obvious to come and talk to me, to make me more uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, I remember going, yeah, I'm fine. Like, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Oh, I felt ill. Oh, my God, I feel bad. Yeah, I'm going to, oh, my God. Am I, am I speeding up or am I slowing down? Am I speeding up or am I slowing down? <laughs> and, uh, and through the internet, you, you can, it's on there, the, the fill over spectrum. So uh, how I did it, I do not know, but it's on there and it's fine. Yeah, the you know, you know, okay, yeah. So next time you look it up, look up on YouTube. <laughs> I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Everybody listening to this is going to do the same. <laughs> yeah. <Whee! laughs> how much? How much? Have I got time for a couple more questions, or have you got to head to the next one? Um, I think I'm, I'm actually. Uh, I'm, You're right. We're yeah. over, are we? Yeah, I think we're over. Ah, uh, bummer. I've got a go. yeah. Look, it's been a great chat, Jason. By the way, um, I've been looking nice forward to this to one too. for a while. You know, so yeah. Look, good luck with it. I'm going to be in the crowd uh, when you come down here to Brisbane. I'm in the Gold Coast. I'm so the closest one to me yeah. is Brisbane, mate. So I'll be out there, mate. I'll raise a beer in your honour. Don't worry. Thank you very much. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll get. You know, if I see you know, make a point to say hi, we'll be there. And uh, uh, no, thanks for the time. It's uh, nice talking to you. You've uh, you made me feel very comfortable. Oh, thanks, mate. No, that's that's definitely what I aim, to be honest, mate. That's that's it right there. I spoke to Phil Susan the other night, actually, and we had a good chat like this one too, mate. So that's it's it. always great wildlife. to catch up. Next time yeah. we speak to remember him about wildlife. Wildlife, uh, okay. First band, <laughs> Simon, Simon Kirk on drums. Oh, there you yeah. go. Okay. Yeah, I, was, gotcha. I was there at the beginning of that man's career, yeah. Oh, wow. Mate, yeah. you guys get yeah, way so, back so, to all the classics. 16 degrees of separation, so... When he got Phil Susan, when Ozzy got Phil Susan in the band, yeah, and they did the shot in the dark and that, I I didn't go. I was asked to go to the audition. I was taken out for dinner by Ozzy and Sharon. Ozzy got well hammered, had a go at Sharon in front of me at the dinner table, and then passed out in his food. <laughs> and then I was like, um, and I was seventeen, and. Uh, I didn't go. I went. You know what? I can't do that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know which person it's going to be when you're in the band. So me and him. So the next thing I know, he's in the band, and uh, he went. Oh yeah, it was a bit wild. Yeah, but, he's very uh, so I must say, I've stayed in touch. Ozzy was one of my dad's mates, and I've known him since I was a kid. And yeah, uh, when I when I turned uh, fifty, he sent me a video message. Wonderful. Yeah, so. Pleasant. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So nice mate. talking to you. I better go. My wife will be calling me now. I'll probably be at dinner. But uh, cheers. For sure, mate. No worries. Thanks very much, eh? Okay. Bye. Gotcha. Bye. Thank you. Told you it was a good one. Jason Bonham, ladies and gentlemen, the son of the late, great John Bonham, drummering Led Zeppelin. Now, if you like that chat, there are more like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like listening, maybe you like reading, 
I know you do. Like reading books, hey? Especially about heavy metal, hard rock, extreme metal, and beyond. Scars and Guitars Volume 1, click on the link in the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a universe of conversations. Try before you buy through a marketplace of your choice and if you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally. Just recently I sent a copy, I've got hard copies, so if you want a physical copy of the book rather than a uh, e-version, just let me know because I can send it to you pretty much wherever you are in the world. Okay. Probably do it for nothing, to be honest with you, because if you're listening to the show, you're pretty fucking cool. Let's face it. All right, there's some more to share with you about the book, but before I do, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very good bye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, 
And throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favorite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.